than an expository sermon. Rather than taking a particular text and breaking it down and, and looking at the historical context and, and unfolding its meaning and, and looking at how that applies to us today, rather than doing that kind of sermon, I'm simply going to take the theme of God with us and present a bunch of fairly well-known scriptures and ask that over the next few days you contemplate and meditate on those passages under the theme of God with us. So that's your homework uh, for this Christmas week, perhaps. So last night, Pastor Steve talked about how to have a silent night, holy night, and how the Christmas invitation is to know the greatest gift, the greatest joy, and that is Jesus. And so this morning, I want to pick up on that and say, how is it that Jesus is the greatest gift? And I want to, there's lots of ways to think about that, but this morning, I just want to pick the lens of God with us and consider what that means. In Isaiah 7, we are told that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew, 700 years later, says that Jesus' birth fulfills that prophecy. So Jesus is the Messiah whose name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Now, this is not just a miracle of God becoming a man in some biological sense, although that would be an awesome miracle. It's not the miracle, the idea of Emmanuel is not God is man. It's much more than that. It is God with us. So let's consider that concept this morning. And before delving into some of those scriptures, let's just consider that phrase, God with us. It starts with God. It's not blessing is with you, or riches are with you, or prosperity is with you, or even salvation is with you. It's that God is with you. God is with us. God is central, and surely blessing and riches are with us, and prosperity, and I'm not talking about financial prosperity, I'm talking about eternal prosperity, salvation is with us, but these things are with us because God is with us. Indeed, to, to kind of think about this and carry it to conclusion, it's not that these things are with us because God is with us, and then there's these great things in separate categories. No, that's not what it's like. It's not like the rich uncle who, because he's with us with his unlimited credit card, we have all the things that we really want because he's there, we get what we want. No, that's not it. We are blessed and rich and prosperous and saved because God is the blessing. He is the riches. He is the prosperity. So God is with us. So just to stop and consider that idea of God being with us is enough, is ample opportunity for all kinds of meditation and praise and thanksgiving to God. But what about the next part of the phrase? God with us. That's the second part of Emmanuel. God with us. As I said, it's not just about God becoming a man. It's not just a biological miracle, as, as amazing as that would be. It is that God is with us. Not merely that he talks to us. Not merely that he sends us a message. It's that God is with us. And this is unique among world religions. Christianity is unique in that God became one of his creation. He was fully God and fully man. God with us. 
This is the glorious and beautiful truth that I want us to consider this morning. So I'd like to ask just how is God with us? And as I said, we're going to do this by reading through a selection of fairly familiar passages of Scripture, but that's really the point of meditation. You've, you've ingested this Scripture that you know, and then you roll it around in your head and meditate on it so that it changes your thinking. It changes your attitude and changes your perspective. And as you turn the eyes of your soul to Jesus, the things of earth become strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, to quote that familiar chorus. So that's what meditation is. And there may, there may be no new teaching for you here this morning, just a call to pause. A call to pause and consider the truths that you know and to worship Christ. Now meditation can be a little bit of an unorganized thing sometimes, so to bring this some cohesion to this, I have four categories that we can think about. If you're taking notes, you can jot them down. But the first is how Jesus, how God was with us in Jesus since creation. And that's in the promise. How Jesus was with us from his birth to his ascension in humility. Third, how God is with us in Christ today in spirit and in absence. And that may sound funny. Like, how can I say God is with us and he's with us in absence? So this doesn't really fit quite so neatly. Um, but God is with us in spirit, but physically he is absent right now. And that leads to the next point, that Jesus will return. And so God being with us today is a foreshadowing of something more complete and more perfect in the future. So then my fourth point is, how God will be with us when Jesus returns, and that is in his glorious and eternal presence. So, starting off, uh, many, so how was Jesus with us since creation? And many of you may, you may question this idea and say, well, we know that God, Jesus existed eternally as part of the Godhead, but Jesus was only with us when he became a man. He became a man at a certain point in time, that first Christmas, and that's the point from which Jesus was with us. And so what I want to think about, I know God was active in, in the world and active in the people of Israel in the Old Testament, but what I want to focus on is God with us, Jesus, in this context, in terms of the promise that Jesus would come. So I want to just think about the promise since creation to when Jesus came. Now, this is about waiting and anticipation. So I don't know if any of the kids who are here this morning, did anybody, or adults maybe too, did anybody have to wait this morning to get their Christmas gifts? Did anybody have to wait? They were up waiting. I know our kids did because we make them wait. And we made them wait extra this morning because I had to work on my sermon. Uh, <laughs> so they were really waiting. Um, so how did it feel to wait? How does it feel to wait for Christmas morning? Kids, how did it feel this morning? Annoying, Annoying yeah. <laughs> Well, how would it feel if you had to wait 2,000 years? Because God gave the promise, to, there was, and we'll look at an even earlier promise, but God gave the promise to Abraham that he would bless the whole world from Abraham's offspring 2,000 years before Jesus came. And even before that, so we're going to look, and, and you can turn if you like, Genesis 3:15. This is the first glimpse, the first promise of the gospel. In Genesis 3:15, God says, and this is the judgment after the fall. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, speaking to Satan. 
um, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. So this is the first little glimpse of Jesus going to bruise the head or destroy Satan. And this is the first glimpse of the gospel in Genesis. Someone asked me, someone asked me what I was preaching on whether I'd be long today and what text I was using. And I, I said I was going to start in Genesis and finish in Revelation. That is true. Um, but I won't do everything in between. So don't worry. So Genesis, this is the first proclamation of the gospel. The first glimpse that God would be with us. And we'll skip to the Psalms and we'll keep going very high level here. But if you look at the Psalms, there's such rich laments and longings and songs of anticipation. It's beautiful. It's some of the most beautiful parts of Scripture. And in the prophecies of longing for deliverance. We won't look at them all. We'll just look at Isaiah, a very specific. Isaiah was one who foretold the coming of Christ in, in such detail. It's amazing. Um, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus came, Isaiah wrote under the inspiration of God, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so these are just two sample prophecies. There are many more all throughout the Old Testament. But how did it affect the people? And that's what's interesting. If you look and read some of these prophecies, just... Try to put yourself in the mindset of the people who wrote them and how they felt. And we'll just look at Zechariah, John the Baptist's father, and Luke chapter 1, verses 67, that passage there. Um, and just think, and he's right at the cusp. He knows something is about to happen. So all this anticipation and longing, and he was experiencing, but he knows now something special is about to happen. So just listen to what he says. Luke chapter 1, verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old. Right? So all those promises, the holy prophets of old. That we should be saved from our enemies, from, all the, from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, all the remembering, the longing. To remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. We're talking about John the Baptist here. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness in, and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So God with us was a promise, first, of something to come, something to come in the future, to God's people in the Old Testament. 
that God became a man, that Jesus was born on that first Christmas, this tells us that God keeps his promises so we can have confidence as we anticipate the fulfillment of God's promises. Now, how was Jesus with us? How was God with us in Christ from his birth to his ascension? The mystery of the incarnation, and the incarnation is that God would take on human flesh, that he would stoop to become one of his created beings. If we look in Philippians chapter 2, another familiar passage, it says, uh, verse 5, starting in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And here we're, this is God becoming human, is making himself nothing, and truly it is. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we're thankful to people when they go through a lot of trouble to do something for us, when someone has to deny themselves to make a sacrifice for us. It increases our appreciation for them. Well, Jesus gave up his right to become God, his rights as God, as creator and ruler of the universe in order to become one of his created beings. And this is another idea worthy of our meditation. How great was his love for us? And this is the core of the incarnation, that God humbled himself to be born as a man. And what of Jesus' life, his experience, his life as a human being? He is God with us in that he's been there. God with us speaks to his solidarity and identification with us. How many, how many kids here, or we've all been kids, or, and how many adults have heard the phrase, you don't understand, you just don't understand? Who's heard that phrase? Anybody as a parent, their kids ever say that? Any kids ever say that to their parents? You don't understand. How does it feel when we think no one understands? Let's look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Now hold that thought, that propitiation for sins. We'll come back to that in a minute. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So Jesus was like us in every way. He can identify with us. And the application of that, in verse 18, the writer says, because he suffered and was tempted, he is able to help us, help those who are being tempted. <coughs> If just flip the page to uh, Hebrews 4.15, a similar thought. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's the truth. And then the application is, next verse, let us then with confidence, because Jesus identified, he was God with us, he experienced the things we experience, because of that, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Truly, this is God with us. Another beautiful aspect 
of the Incarnation. Now, just a second ago, in chapter 2, verse 17, I said to hold the thought on that verse referring to how Jesus was a faithful high priest to be the propitiation for the sins of the people. And that just means, that word just means Jesus took God's wrath upon himself. He bore our punishment. He bore the sin and our punishment for sin. So that's another way that God is with us in the atonement, in taking our punishment. And 1 Peter 2, 4 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then Peter goes on to tell us how to live in light of that reality, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. So another aspect of the incarnation was that Jesus was with us so that he could be our faithful high priest to bear our sin. And then the resurrection. And our time is getting short already. I've got a couple points left. Can't really skip the resurrection. But very quickly to say that God with us in the resurrection, that Jesus destroyed the power of sin. Romans 8.11. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. God is with us in the resurrection because we can live and have newness of life. So in the incarnation, we see God with us in humility. And it's one thing I have to say it's important to note is that God wasn't with us in the way that people necessarily expected in those days because they rejected Jesus, obviously, and, and, and hung him on a cross to die. So they didn't expect a humble king. The idea that the Messiah would be God's own son was foreign to many. So in the incarnation, we see that God is humbling himself, becoming a man to identify with us, to take our punishment, to be raised from the dead so that we may live a new life. Emmanuel, God with us, is such a powerful and life-changing name. Jesus is with us today. So how is God with us today? Ephesians 3, verses 16 to 19. Paul is praying here, and he prays that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, this is the verse, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the, the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Paul has lots of really long sentences, so the point is that Christ may dwell in your hearts so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. So one way God is with us now is in Christ in spirit, indwelling our hearts so that we may be filled and have the fullness of God. I'm going to skip a few. Jesus is ruling the world, seated at God's right hand. Ephesians 1, 17. I won't skip this one though. He's interceding for us. Hebrews 7, 25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteousness, righteous. So Jesus' death on the cross paid the price of our sin once for all, 
And Jesus' ministry of intercession assures us that Satan's accusations concerning our sin and our failures will never be held against us. If you feel like you've failed God, God with us means that Jesus is our advocate and that our sin is forgiven. Finally, God is with us now in Christ because Jesus is preparing a place for us. John 14, 1-3 is a very familiar passage. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also God with us. So how will Jesus be with us in the future? When he comes again, it will be with power. His glory will be revealed for all to see. And scripture is full again of prophecies that speak in eager anticipation of celebration and feasting when all things are right in God's presence. Eternal, never-ending future with Christ is the culmination of God's plan for those who put their trust in him. And we're commanded to think about this. Colossians 3, 1-2 says, If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not things that are on earth. And that is a topic worth much meditation. So this is the fourth and final topic about God with us in the future. I just have one passage from Revelation 21. said I was going to go Genesis to Revelation. I think that was pretty good in, I don't know, 25 minutes, Genesis to Revelation. That's not bad, even on Christmas morning. Um, so Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. The culmination of all of history here, the dwelling place of God with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What a beautiful picture of how God will be with us in all of eternity. So the message of Christmas is God with us. So as I close, let's consider our response to the ways that God is with us. God with us began as a promise when God promised the Messiah. He keeps his promises, so trust him. Take a cue from the Old Testament prophets and the, and the servants of old and see how they trusted and anticipated. And I guess soon in the new year the elders will be talking about Bible reading plans and I'm not sure which plan we'll use, but certainly we'll read the Old Testament and the new, but a chance to see that anticipation as you read through scripture next year. Secondly, Jesus came as a humble servant Receive him. Receive him as he comes, not how you expected him to come. Because that's what the people did wrong, right? They expected him to come a certain way and he didn't come that way. He came in humility. Consider the sacrifice that Jesus made to come to earth. To live among his creatures. 
how he was tempted as we are, how he took the punishment for our sins on the cross. He died and rose again, breaking the power of sin and death. This is the Christmas story. He did all of this so that we would know him and become his children, children of God, by placing our trust in him. The third point, how Jesus is with us, God is with us in Christ today. If you've trusted and acknowledged Jesus as your Savior and Lord, then the Spirit of Jesus lives within you. So our response is to abide in him, to be confident in him, to know that there is no condemnation for us. If Satan accuses, Jesus intercedes, and he is preparing a place for us. What confidence that gives. Finally, and I think maybe this is the most important point, only because I think maybe it's the one that we miss or we get busy and forget about or don't think about enough. Finally, God with us in the future. It means in the future we will one day enjoy his presence, his physical presence, this time in a perfect world where all will acknowledge Jesus' rule and with great joy, not begrudgingly, but with great joy. Jesus will return, so yearn for him. Be confident in him, but yearn for him. I think if there's any message for Christmas, we can look back and celebrate, and thanks be to God that the Old Testament prophets only saw it dimly. We have all the details, so we can look back with wonderful confidence and, and be inspired. But look ahead and yearn for him to return. Emmanuel, God with us. I trust that as you consider the meaning of Christmas this morning, consider how awesome and life-changing is the name Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Father, this morning we just thank you and give you praise that you are in Christ, God with us, that you sent your Son to be God with us, in that special way, physically, as a man to walk this earth, that you are God with us by your Spirit today, and that you will be God with us by your holy presence in a new world of perfection, and we can live with you in eternity. May that be on our minds. May that be in our minds this new year, that we would dwell and, and yearn for God with us in greater ways in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.